Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back to The Conversation. This episode is actually going to be the first of a series of episodes I'm going to do on perception and expanding our conscious awareness. In this quotable Monday, I'm going to feature a quote from Lee Atwater, a prominent American political consultant and strategist uh, known for his work with the Republican Party in the 80s. He said this, and it's been repeated many, many times. It is perception is reality. Perception is reality. A lot of people argue the fact that reality is not perception, that perceptions can be varied. And that's the point. We each have a perception on what is true, what our beliefs say is true. And that perception shapes our reality, for better or worse. When Atwater used it to talk about the political scene, he used it to convey the idea that people's perceptions and beliefs shape their understanding of reality often more so than the objective facts. In fact, once you take a position, once you have a perception of how things are, you don't want to be bothered with the facts, especially if they fly in the face of what you think you know, what you think you believe. This is our confirmation bias at work. In the conversation that we're typically in, as far as consciousness and manifestation, how you perceive the world makes a big difference on how you interact with it. In fact, I've talked many times that your perceptions are all you have to work with. And so if you're new to the podcast, let me just reground this idea as that as we take in the world, we perceive the world through our five representational systems, through visual, auditory, kinesthetic, gustatory, and olfactory, we perceive the world. And we're not necessarily perceiving the world on a one-to-one basis. We're interpreting frequency and vibration meaning that we receive frequency and vibration, and then we interpret it or reinterpret it to mean something to us. Particular vibrations of sound we take as words. And depending on whether or not we get all the information or not, if there's gaps in that information, we'll fill in the gaps with our brain. In other words, we'll make stuff up. And so when the only ways we have access to is through our five representational systems to interact with reality, quote unquote, the real world, the stuff out there, when it passes through our five representational systems, we also assign it to our beliefs. Is it believable? Is it real? Does it fit our model of the world? And sometimes we'll reject stuff that doesn't fit our current understanding. We have a particular frame of reference or a context in which we view the world that immediately rejects some information and allows other information in. And then closely aligned with that is our reticular activating system. We have an actual mechanism or system in the brain that will identify things or attributes of our environment that are important to us, typically because it's been assigned to us at an earlier stage in our life or programmed or by a question. We'll, we'll enter a question, and then our mind will start searching the answer for that question. Our reticular activating system is a way to actually hone in and identify those attributes of our environment that fit our current understanding or, current, or fit our question, fit our priority. 
anything that doesn't register as a priority to us or is considered insignificant, we tend to ignore. We actually don't see it at all many times. For instance, many people have seen the video, and you can probably search for it on YouTube if you haven't seen it already. And it's the idea that there's a bunch of people passing a basketball back and forth, moving around, and you're supposed to keep your eye on the ball. And many people are so focused on keeping their eye on the ball that they don't notice the person dressed in a gorilla suit walk through the crowd to the other side. Because in that moment, the gorilla or the person in the gorilla suit is considered non-essential information because the job you had was to follow the ball. In fact, if you haven't seen it before, I'll assist you. I'll search for it on the internet and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And so as we're receiving information out there, we're perceiving it through our five representational systems. We're representing it to our mind, through our vision, through our auditory signals, through the sensations. And we make an assessment of it based on our current beliefs, our current situation, the context in which we're viewing it in, whether or not it's relevant to us or unimportant. And through that entire process, we're deleting, distorting, and generalizing a lot of the information that's coming in in order to have it fit our current understanding. And so that becomes our perception, and then our perception becomes our reality. It's not necessarily the truth, but it's what we experience. It's what we consider to be true. And so as we expand our conscious awareness, we actually have the ability to perceive reality on multiple dimensions, see multiple points of view, and that expands our understanding. Now, in this episode, I thought it would be, I guess, Fun, fun for me, maybe fun for you, especially if you've never heard it before, for me to revisit the five perceptual positions, the five positions we can take in which to view reality. Now, when you can view the world from these five different points of view, five different reference points, then you can expand your experience of any situation. Now, these are not only points of view, but they're also ways of questioning the world, of considering different positions, considering different thoughts, kind of think of it as a thought experiment. Now, the one that most people are familiar with and everyone lives in is first position, and that is viewing the world through your eyes. How does this affect me? What's it mean to me? If someone does something and it affects me, I don't necessarily see that it's them doing what they're doing for themselves, and I just happen to be affected I think they're doing it to me. I'm in the victim mode or the receiving mode. Now, in this first position, from our own point of view, we have two ways of experiencing it as well. Insider is a subset of the first position. And so we're looking at the world through our eyes. We can dissociate from the emotional impact. We can actually step back a bit, like we're watching a movie. And many people have adopted this strategy, and it's a, it's a common strategy that people do in order to step away from the emotional impact or the severity, the intensity of an emotional response. People that have repeatedly gone through a traumatic experience, whether it's in relationships or emotional abuse, they have a tendency to dissociate from their feelings. They are actually numb to their experience of life. They see the world as a movie. They feel as if they're in the world, but they're not really participating in the world. And like I said, this is useful to use from time to time, but to live there, it takes a lot of the luster out of life. You lose a lot of the, the impact and the, the verb, the, the emotion 
the emotional content of being alive. And so understand if you're living there on a regular basis, it's a natural response from probably, or more, more than likely, a traumatic experience. This is where you want to heal this aspect to, to be able to go in and out of this dissociative state. The other aspect of living or viewing the world from the first position, looking at life through your eyes, is being fully associated with your experience. The second perceptual position, if you can actually do this, you expand your access to intellectual information. Your IQ actually jumps a few points if you're able to do this next one. And the second position is having the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Now, this is something that I had found fairly easy for me, especially when I was a kid. I could actually put myself in someone else's shoes, and if you're particularly empathetic, you can do that. By putting yourself in someone else's shoes, you can actually ask the question, what do I have to believe in order to have this response? How is it for them or the other person to be with you? In this second position, you can actually identify the wants and needs that are going unmet in another person or the wants and needs that are actually being met in a particular situation. What are they getting out of it? What are they arriving at it? What is, what is their frustration point in it? And like I said, there's a certain amount of mental flexibility that has to take place in order for you to do this because you have to get out of your head and put yourself in somebody else's point of view. My father always used to say, walk a mile in another person's moccasins. You see, when you can do this, it's very hard for you to judge another person because you can always see their point of view. Most people that are tied up or bound by judgments see the world totally from their point of view. They don't understand how somebody else can have a point of view or, or have a desire or an intention and have it be validated in their experience. And so let me repeat this. If you, if you want access to this second position, put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Try and look at yourself through their eyes. What are their wants and needs? What are their perceptions of you? Do you have you kept your promises to them? If another person's having an emotional response, can you honor their feelings? Can you honor what they're going through? Actually see why they might be feeling the way they're feeling? And then there's this next exercise that I've done ever since I was young. And when I would see behavior out in the world, out in the marketplace, and it wouldn't necessarily make sense to me, I would ask the question, what would a person have to believe in order to make that behavior seem rational and appropriate? Because at some level, all behavior is intentional. People just don't do random things. There's always an intention or a positive intention for that individual going on in the background that will give rise to all behavior that they exhibit. I was just thinking it might be fun to do another episode where I take certain behaviors out in the marketplace and I'll give you my perspective on what is the emotion, what is the belief that gives rise to certain behaviors in other people. But for now, just consider that the second position is having the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Or more appropriately, put yourself in somebody else's body, put yourself in somebody else's mind, feeling what they might be feeling. We do this typically when we're watching a movie and the character is particularly engaging. As we're engrossed in the movie, we actually go into trance. They consider it deep trance identification. 
when we're watching a character on the screen and we begin feeling the emotions that they're feeling, we can feel the heartbreak, we can feel the the intensity of the scene. We feel it as if it's our own feelings. This is what I'm talking about from this second position. The third position that will offer a lot of valuable information from the perspective of personal growth and assessing your own behavior, actually gaining distance or putting yourself as a fly in the wall of your own life. This is referred to as the witness position or the Hindus or the Eastern thought calls it the observer position. When you're meditating, there's an aspect of your mind that takes on the observer, that observes your thoughts, observes your behavior. Now, in the context of a perceptual position as far as you're interacting with other people, if you can put yourself as an impartial observer, as if you're witnessing a conversation between yourself and somebody else, you can see the dynamic that's going on between your two. Sometimes we get really embarrassed when we actually take an assessment of our behavior, maybe in an argument, as if we were a fly on the wall, maybe a video camera that was off in a corner and we'd review it later. When we look at the interplay between two people, you and somebody else, you have new information that you don't have when you're caught up or involved in your own point of view or proving your point. Now, I used to do this as a kid when I would mow the lawn. I was would observe myself as if I was someone driving by, watching me mow the lawn. I did weird stuff when I was a kid. When I was older, shooting baskets in the backyard or down at the park, I would actually think of what I would look like or what would it appear like if there was an alien visiting just outside the peripheral, watching me throw this basketball, this ball through this hoop. What strange thing would that be? What assessment would that alien make of human life, human intelligent life, if I were the only interaction that it had? Now, this witness position is also a position that we can take, or the observer position is a position that we can take when we're monitoring our own behavior, monitoring our thoughts, just looking at it from the outside. Is it appropriate behavior? Is it, Are we walking our talk? Are we doing what we say we would do? We're, we're, remember, we're emotionally uninvolved. I use this position a lot of times when we go back and visit the past, visit past events. When you're looking at a set of circumstances from the perspective of an impartial observer, you're not emotionally involved. You can actually see things going on that weren't possible before. When I was in a meditation retreat, I remember a monk recounting when he was a waiter at a high-end restaurant in New York City. Here he was serving a couple in the restaurant, and he caught sight of himself in the mirror. And he had this distinct feeling of being a witness to his life. He said, here is God playing me perfectly. The fourth perceptual position is actually a difficult position for a lot of people to grasp. And that is seeing the systematic interconnected relationship between different systems and different people. One of the ways I've found to explain this is imagine that you're on the fourth floor of a high-rise building, and this fourth-floor window that you're standing at overlooks a plaza in which a number of different people are having experience. You see a cafe off to one side. There's a couple sitting at a table having a conversation. There's a single person sitting at another table in the cafe. 
And then you see a bicycle messenger riding through everyone. You see the mailman carrying the mail. You see a woman eating a sack lunch at the edge of a fountain. And then off to the side, you see a number of people that are walking in and out of the entrance of another building. And so you see all the interconnectedness of all these different people. While they may not be interacting directly, they are in the same space. They're all having different experiences, and you are an observer. And as you're watching the the messenger on the bicycle, you notice that someone might be walking in his path. And if he's not paying attention, there could be an accident. And then you also see the mailman as he's going up and giving mail to different people, the smile and the interactions there and how it makes their day. And so there's multiple stories going on at any given moment inside this one total system. When you can get this, you can begin to have a glimpse of the multiple levels of reality or multiple levels of experience going on at any given moment. When you have, maybe even it's a family dynamic, you can see all the different beliefs, all the different perspectives going on at one time. One can also begin seeing the interrelatedness or the connections between apparently unrelated circumstances and see the cascade effect if things were to continue, like that bicycle guy or the messenger on the bicycle bike. If he was to continue on that path, there was a collision that was going to happen. And then we arrive at the fifth position. Now, the fifth position is actually easier for a lot of people to imagine, and that is taking the God position, the God view. If you were to view the circumstances of your life and ask from God's point of view, what is the lesson here for me? What am I supposed to learn? How does this serve my higher purpose? In the context of eternity, does this moment, does this day make any difference in the grand scheme of things? In the context of God's experience of time, where there is no beginning and no end, is there any difference between one day one year, 10 years, 100 years, or 1,000 years. It's all a blip on the radar. It's only a moment in time. Another useful question from this position is when something upsetting happens, is asking the question, in five years, will this make any difference? If I were to use this situation to be advantageous to me, to learn something from it, How can I propel myself in a whole new direction? How can I use it to empower me rather than disempower me? It's from the context that the universe has my back and that everything is happening for my purpose. Or let me say on purpose for my benefit. And so to go back to my original quote, perception is reality. By assuming these different perceptual positions, we change our experience of reality. And this brings to mind one of my favorite stories of the Japanese farmer. You probably have heard it before, but I'm going to say it again, just in case you haven't heard it or you'd like to hear it again. There's a Japanese farmer that was considered to be very wealthy by all his neighbors. He had a horse and he had an able-bodied son who could work the land. And so with the horse, the horse could pull the wagon, could pull the plow, could do five times the work as a man by himself. But as luck would have it, one day the horse ran away and all his neighbors finding out would go to the farmer and say, oh, how terrible, how how devastating, you lost your horse, how bad for you, how terrible for you. And the farmer just said, well, maybe, 
A few days later, the horse came back. With it were three wild ponies. The farmer now had four horses. He was considered now one of the wealthiest people in the countryside. All his neighbors exclaimed, How wonderful, how fantastic, how marvelous for you. And the farmer said, Well, maybe. A couple days later, the son is breaking in the horses and was actually thrown from the horse and broke his arm. All his neighbors said, How terrible, how horrible, your son cannot work in the fields. You must be very disappointed. And the farmer said, Well, maybe. Later in the month, the militia came around, gathering up all the able-bodied young men to fight in the war. His son was spared. All his neighbors exclaimed, How marvelous, how wonderful, your son was spared. And of course, the farmer said, Well, maybe. The moral of the story is that nothing is neither good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. Context is decisive. Depending on your point of view, it makes a big difference on what you're viewing. In the words of Wayne Dyer, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. I don't know if that's an exact quote, but you get the idea. Stephen Covey, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, used to relay this story about a paradigm shift. He said he was on the subway one day reading the paper, and at one stop, a man got on with several children. And the man sat down and was very stoic. The children started running around and yelling and teasing each other and just causing a commotion. Well, this interrupted the quiet that Stephen Covey had been experiencing while reading the paper. He was getting very irritated because the kids were clearly out of control. Finally, he couldn't take it anymore, and he put down his paper, and he leaned forward to get the man's attention. And he said, Sir, sir, do you think you could do something about your kids? And it was like he woke the man up from a a deep stupor. He was out of a trance. And the man kind of looked around and saw his children and says, Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I I guess they don't know how to take it. We just came from the hospital, and they're... Their mother died. In fact, I don't know how I'm taking it right now myself. And right away, just knowing the context of what was going on, it changed how Stephen felt in that moment. He felt compassion. His irritation left immediately. And given this different perspective, he reached out and was very compassionate with the man, said how sorry he was. And in that moment, the kid's behavior, the children's behavior was meaningless. Stephen referred to this as a paradigm shift. It's a change of frame, a change of perspective. And so as I leave you, I want to charge you with challenging your perceptions. If you think things are a particular way, maybe they're not. Maybe it's just the position from which you're viewing things from. If you look at things from the God position and that everything is happening for your benefit, can anything ever really happen to you that's really all that bad? It might be disappointing, it might be a setback, but ultimately, if you're in the belief, from the perspective, that it's happening for your greater good, you're going to mine all the gold out of that experience. I charge you with getting curious about your perspectives, your frames of mind, the context of which you're viewing things. Are you able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes? Can you see the bigger picture? Until next time, this is your friend and host, Daniel DeNovi, urging you to follow your bliss. Live your life from inner signals. Be inner-directed as you engage in the epic adventure.